can use the leaf to make a chunk of hair. Hey, all right, you guys. Sorry, I hope we didn't catch you off guard, but this is episode number 58 of Free Weed and also episode number one of Free Hash. And we hope you like it. If you do, hashtag Free Hash. We are going to talk about our May 2014 issue. We've got a cool segment coming up with our co- colleague Craig. Um, we're going to talk to T- uh, two fellows from TC Labs about uh, hash production, concentrate production, uh, non-solventless hash production. And then I'm going to go through a nice uh, history of hash, talking about uh, the import hashes that we get from overseas. And that's going to be free weed number 58 or free hash number one, depending on how you look at it. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, I'm sure you noticed the tune. It is Free Hash number one or Free Weed number 58. We decided to mix it up a little bit and do a uh, hashish episode. Yes, we did. It's very exciting. I like that new song. Yeah, thanks to uh, DJ Jacques and Winstrong for mixing it up for us. And, uh, you know, that's the remix. Of course, you are listening to Free Weed number 58. Oh, yeah, this is still Free Weed. But, yeah. you know, we decided that we would give a little love to hash. Yeah, exactly. Because, as we all know, we practice a unique form of alchemy. Uh, basically, we're turning light, water, and food into cannabis, into medicine, into um, recreational marijuana, whatever you want to call it. And then... Uh, to take that another step further, to concentrate that, it's even more alchemy to make proper hash. So we're going to be talking about, um, you know, import hash, the history of, you know, hashish over thousands of years. We're going to be talking about, um, you know, the new forms of hash, the ice water, uh, solventless bubble hash side of things. And also, uh, in particular, the uh, BHO or the dabs or the... Um, butane extracted side of things as well and we've got some some experts on to talk about that very exciting it is indeed uh but before we get into that in-depth hash conversation why don't we talk about the issue that just dropped today yeah absolutely it's our may uh 2014 issue and uh it's our third installment of the strongest strains on earth Strongest Strains on Earth, and that's by our colleague, Nico Escondido, and uh, it's pretty amazing. We have 15 strains that are over 23% THC. Yeah, incredible. And the cover the cover strain is Bruce Banner number 3, uh, came in with a THC analysis of 28.3%, uh, I believe, at our Denver Cup last year. So, um, very exciting. And as you always say, THC is not the end-all, be-all of what weed actually is, but it is a very important marker. And, uh, it's, you know, we, it's highly important. <laughs> highly important. So we pay a little tribute to that here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a number of great articles a- as well in there. Um, besides just the strongest strains, there's uh, some grow room bio warfare, um, how to you know combat some of the plagues and pestilence that we have in our grow room. Um, there's a whole thing about master blasters, uh, the people from Skunk Farm Research uh, teaching people um, proper dab techniques, uh, a whole thing about Colorado, uh, pot shops selling cannabis legally, 
And uh, yeah, it's a lot of interesting stuff. An interview with John Stossel, who uh, people know from the news and stuff, a libertarian sort of guy uh, who reaches out to the unconverted and preaches to them about legalizing pot. So um, all in all, a really well-rounded issue with a lot of cool information, a lot of cool gross stuff and stuff for the casual smoker as well. Exactly. So that is the May 2014 issue. It is on newsstands now. If you'd like a little preview of those strongest strains, uh, go to my Twitter page. I tweeted it out uh, the other day. It's a little video of the strongest strains on Earth. If you just want to get a look at what some of these are and how much THC they have, it's a good place to start. But for the full article, definitely go pick up the May issue. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I I am off to Barcelona, Spain for Spanibus. Um, yeah, you're about to head out right now. Yeah, yeah. That's very run. exciting. What, what are you going to be doing in Spain? I'm working with uh, Cannabis Network Radio. We're just uh, sort of trying to expand the reach of free weed out to other markets, and we're going to be recording some interviews over there. We're going to be doing some uh, tapings. And oh, so am I going? Uh, you know, we couldn't afford to send oh, you, Mike. I can't go. We All could right. not. Yeah, but uh, I, will be, I will be coming back with goodies in the form of uh, some interviews with some of the luminaries there. And, uh, yeah, just follow my... Uh, tweets and facebooks and whatnot if you want to keep up with all that yeah and follow mine if you want to know what it's like staying home all right <laughs> <laughs> anyway um well yeah so safe trip to dan all right so uh what i'd like to do right now is bring in craig coffee for our first ever edition of were drugs involved so craig has found a story uh, that it wasn't reported that drugs were involved, but we have a sneaking suspicion. So, Craig, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened here? Yeah, so um, apparently a family of, and, you know, they might have gone through trauma. So let's start with that. I don't want to make fun of anybody undeservedly, but here we go. They're from Portland, Oregon, and uh, they have a cat that went off the edge. Apparently it just went off, <laughs> for, if you listen to the, nine, the 911 call, uh, and trapped the family in a bedroom. With the baby. <laughs> that's, that's what I would, Why don't we play a little bit of the 911 call so people have an idea of what you're talking about. All right, here we go. Yeah, hi. I have a kind of a particular emergency here. Um, my cat attacked our uh, seven-month-old child, and I kicked the button, the cat in the rear, and it has went off over the edge, and we um, aren't safe around the cat. It's a very large Himalayan. And we're trapped in our bedroom. He won't let us out of our door. We don't know what to do about the cat. He's gone. He's trying to attack us. He's very, 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 very hostile. When I leave out the bedroom to let the police in, I'm going to have to fight this cat. All right, so that's a fairly serious situation, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's an emergency, I would say. If I had, that's a pretty crazy thing to go through. You know, like, who wants to be trapped in a bedroom with a crazy animal on the other side of the door so much that you have to call the cops? Yes, but you're not satisfied with this at face value. Now, uh, the first thing that I thought uh, when I watched this, you know, drugs are definitely involved. <laughs> like, they, there's no mention of it in the story. That it's not anywhere. There was no grow room in the house. There was no weed in the house. Okay, but let's start with this. It was in Portland, Oregon. I've never met somebody. You know, I meet a lot of stoners. It's part of my job. But I've never met somebody from Portland that wasn't into drugs. Mostly weed, but, you know. Portland's a heady place to be. You're trapped between Washington State and California, you know, a legal state and a giant medical market. Just in, in that, you know, like, how do you not smoke pot and be there with that situation in play? That's very difficult. And then the sports team even, right, you were saying earlier? That's it. The basketball team, NBA team, is the Blazers. The Blazers? They're so into their shit that the team is the Blazers. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, you're making a convincing argument so far. Yeah, and, and that's not a bad thing. I would love to live in Portland for those reasons, you know? <laughs> All right, so the couple lives in Portland. The couple lives in Portland. Uh, the, the wife and mother, who was kind enough to go on camera for, for, for the news agency, is, uh, you know, she's got two facial piercings. Okay, that's a, that's a stonerish thing. It is, yeah. She uh, curses at the camera <laughs> as part of her description of the event. Uh, uh, I have to tell you, we're going to play a little sound clip of this, but we were watching the video. She is literally holding an infant in her arms, and while she's describing the scene to uh, the reporter, she can't help but, but swear. So here, take a listen. Lee is running full force to the back bedroom, scared <laughs> because the cat because the cat was a, being aggressive. Yeah. That's that's pretty good. Okay, that's a stonerish mom. So now, like, my question is at this point is like, you know, I, I'm I'm sure drugs are involved. <laughs> Did the- you hear the guy's laugh? <laughs> Let me play that again for you. Tell them to be careful. The police. Uh, I will. <laughs> Tell them to be careful. That's a, that is a stoner yeah. laugh right there. <laughs> was the cat on drugs? Were the people on drugs? And the cat was totally fine. Were they both on drugs? <laughs> I like. I personally like to think that, that the cat was just completely normal, maybe wanting some food or something, but they imagined this scenario where they had to lock themselves into their bedroom. Yeah. Well, uh, and we'll get to the, the final and what I think the most beautiful stoner's trait that they show is compassion and an open heart. They, they don't even want to kill the cat. They don't want to get rid of it. They want to keep it in the family. They're considering getting rid of it. This cat attacked them, trapped them in a room... <laughs> scratched their baby's face they had to call 911 they probably had all you know there's no mention of drugs in the story so they probably did a great job of hiding all their drugs and everything and they're still taking gonna, all of them. they're still yeah. going to keep this cat as part of their family as a member they're giving it a chance yeah despite the fact that it has the potential to eat their baby uh they are keeping this cat you're right there's a couple of notes here the cat's name is lux it weighs 22 pounds and uh also, the most interesting thing in this report is that the dog had to be rescued from this cat by police, which I think he's not going to be able to show his face in uh, too many parks anytime soon, getting roughed up by a cat like that. But, um, okay, so we're drugs involved. We leave it up to the audience to decide. I'm going to tweet out uh, a link with the full video. So if you need more, more uh, you know, evidence, you could check that out. Then retweet that tweet if you think drugs were involved favorite the tweet if you don't think drugs were involved. And if you'd like extra credit, you could retweet and tell us what drug you think was involved here. Sound like a good idea? Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Craig. That was our first ever edition of Were Drugs Involved? We're going to take a little break and come back with the guys from TC Labs and talk about hash. All right, you guys, you want free weed and you don't know where to start. The best place to start is with a BC Northern Lights grow box. You can buy the producer, the bloom box, the roommate, whichever size fits your needs. And uh, they are a great sponsor for us. We love them. BCNorthernLights.com. You can call them seven days a week, 888-236-1266. These are, like I always say, the Rolls Royce or Ferrari or Mercedes of grow boxes. They're uh, built to last they have touchscreen technology, everything automated, fans, lights, hydroponics, everything is fully, fully automated exactly how you want it. Uh, they lock, they roll, 
they're basically everything you need besides uh, you know the plants themselves. And uh, we love them. They have great customer service. They've been around, she's almost 15 years doing this. So please uh, tell them free weed sent you. You get, uh, I believe, six months of free nutrients for that. We're still working out how we want to uh, roll out the giveaway that they promised us uh, of the roommate. We're going to do that for sure. Um, that's a very nice, very amazing grow box that we're going to give out to one of our listeners. And we will be letting you know in the near future, maybe not so near future, but very, very soon about how we want to do that and what you can do to, uh, to you know, apply for winning that. So thank you to BC Northern Lights. Check them out and tell them Free Weed sent you. All right, welcome back. And uh, we are privileged here on this special free hash episode to have uh, some people who are actually really at the forefront of hashish technology, um, concentrate technology right now. Uh, we have uh, Michael Pesch and Matt Van Banskoten from TC Labs and Extract Outfitters. So welcome, guys. Thank you. How are you doing, Danny? Absolutely. Thanks I'm really good. Um, I want to get right into it with you guys because I know you have a depth of knowledge about this subject that... Uh, um, some of our listeners probably don't, and even I myself don't. So um, why don't we start basically just by talking about how you guys got interested in this um, industry, in this flower, in this plant, and, and its, con- its concentrations. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of my love for cannabis, so to speak, uh, kind of started at a young age. But for me getting involved and in working in this industry, in this community, uh, really started in, when I got into college, uh, had a significant head injury my freshman year of college, uh, kind of changed who I was, my personality, that type of thing, and started moving away from that party mode, that typical college kids feeling. Uh, really started focusing on uh, you know, my life and where I'm moving forward, started smoking more cannabis, I had a medical recommendation that came from a doctor, and uh, started working in dispensaries and was a gardener for a period of time, really recognized my love, um, you know, it expanded from there and became this passion for uh, providing clear, con- you know, consumable concentrates uh, that are clean and palatable and uh, are a true representation of the cannabis plant. And, you know, a couple years ago, about a year and a half ago, I should say, uh, started up TC Labs with uh, two business partners of mine at the time. Uh, the three of us, you know, kind of came together under a uh, brand to kind of provide that wholesale concentrate to the uh, Colorado con- uh, cannabis community. And from there, it really progressed and uh, found Mike as uh, a partner uh, to be able to take our business to that next level and to be able to step up for the recreational markets uh, and to be able to see where cannabis can go uh, nationwide and take concentrates there with it. Cool. And I should mention, um, you guys, uh, last year in 2013, you took second place in Denver in the medical concentrates uh, contest and first place in Amsterdam (laughs) in the seed company in 2013 uh, with an amazing product. So, um, Mike, maybe um, take us back to maybe your first experiences with cannabis and and where that brought you. Absolutely. It was uh, definitely the beginning of my college days. And uh, 
I just grew a love to it because um, it was more of a social thing. I mean, I wasn't much of a drinker. Um, uh, the area I was in, it was all bars and, you know, loud music and stuff, and I wasn't, you know, very sociable like that. So I grew a love for cannabis, and about a year ago, I discovered hash oil, <coughs> and uh, I really haven't smoked uh, flour since, to be honest with you, and I grew a total love to it because it's uh, made me healthier, I feel, and on top of that, I just uh, don't get that lethargic feeling during the day, and uh, as a businessman, I need to be productive. Yeah, you also mentioned to me that you lost a lot of weight Yeah, uh, and got <laughs> by uh, 30, doing dab. 35 pounds in about a year. And you said that flowers give you the munchies and dabs uh, do not? Absolutely. I mean, for me, I mean, don't <laughs> right. get me wrong. I Everyone's mean, I don't different. speak for everyone, but, you know, I have a pretty busy life. And, uh, you know, when I get home at night, you know, it's more of a, you know, just eat my small dinner, you know, uh, you know, chat with the wife and, you know, basically, you know, do my thing, you know, take a dab or two and, you know, that's it. Go tonight. That's it. Good night. <laughs> so as if we needed another reason to do dabs, uh, it helps you lose weight as well. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, I'm, take I'm it to heart. I'm definitely living proof of that. Yeah, <laughs> take it to heart out there. If uh, if you're interested, that's an interesting way to uh, to lose some weight. Um, now let's get into uh, concentrate making because that's what people want to know about. Um, obviously, you know, if if you're paying attention to the news, um, there's obviously issues with people making concentrates. Um, that are not in labs, yeah. that are not in the right kind of atmosphere. So take me through um, how a concentrate is made properly and what materials are used to do that. Certainly. Um, Matt, please. Uh, it, you know, cannabis ex extract started way back uh, with, you know, the physical extraction methods that you talked about and where things are going to go with the chemical or the uh, solvent extractions. Where it starts is fine materials, uh, finding a quality flower or trim that ha doesn't have any pesticides or any uh, myotoxins or biocontaminants within it. Uh, but when we start with an extraction process, we have our starting material, we have our extraction vessel, which in our case in the commercial level is that closed loop unit. Uh, and that allows, a, you know, for people who aren't familiar with what a closed loop unit is, basically uh, we recapture all of the solvent throughout the extraction process and we're able to recover that so that it's not released into the atmosphere uh, and still do our extraction process and be able to pull it out and manipulate it the same way as the older techniques, uh, as some would refer to it as open blasting, uh, which in, you know, decades or not, not too long ago, I should say, not even decades ago. Uh, you know, you'd pack a glass tube and you'd uh, take a water bath and you would spray into that water bath and begin that purging ma method with a little bit of heat induced. And then, you know, some people advanced on to a vacuum method, whether it be a hand vac or uh, something along those lines. And then it's evolved to where modern day sciences are starting to get involved, some basic organic chemistry techniques, and we're using. Uh, vacuum ovens, we're using these closed loop units, and we're trying to take from other industries outside of where we've come from, uh, whether it be from OSHA or the National Fire Protection Agency, and try to, you know, tailor our techniques to meet those requirements. Uh, th that allows us to be able to, you know, progress this industry and be able to be around as a commercial concentrate provider. So, you know, that's that's where it's progressing. Uh, when it comes to the, the methods themselves or what you start with, 
um, it, it, it all is that flower material and having something clean. You guys were saying something interesting before we started the interview that uh, the quality of the bud that goes into that is very important. And I think a lot of people don't really grasp that. In fact, even our new theme song says, uh, turn your trash to stash. But you guys emphasize the quality of the pot that goes into it, right? Absolutely. What you put into it is what you get out of it. It's, it's as simple as that. So, you know, the market in Colorado uh, for concentrates started off of processing people's trim. So these manufacturers would go around and collect bags of trim, process it, and it would be great product. But as the markets evolve, we've tried to tailor our gardens specifically to concentrate production, uh, whether it be manipulating the light spectrum or the intensities themselves, uh, to be able to get that surface area rather than that bulk to that bud. Uh, that's what we're going for in our, our extractions, is be able to get that surface area to get it the most uh, bang for your buck, if you will, uh, with those yields. All right, and, and, and that starting material, do you guys use a frozen material? Do you use a dried material? Do you use uh, fresh material that's not frozen? What's, what's the best? We personally uh, use a dried material. We take it from our garden, start it at around a 50% cure, 50% uh, relative humidity in the first cure room, uh, get everything kind of down at that general level, and then bring it into another room that sits right at about 20%. We've put it out on screens. We're able to break down our materials, get a lot of that stem and leaf out of there. So we're just left with, uh, you know, the resin, resinous plant material. Uh, and from there, we're able to you know, pack up our uh, materials into the tubes and be able to uh, blast. So. Okay. And are, is that regular butane? Is that N-butane? Is that... We use uh, N-butane. Uh, we distill it through the machine. The particular unit that we use, the OB-Dose, uh, has built into it when we load up our tain into the system we run it through at least two or three times there uh, the tain itself comes with this stuff that's a packing mineral oil uh, it's meant to lubricate pumps it's meant to lubricate the inside of canisters that they come in to protect them uh, but for a medical extraction we don't want any of that in there so we end up distilling that out through the you know a simple distillation process okay and i want to bring us back for a moment because you mentioned open blasting and this is basically one of the more controversial aspects of the subject matter and I want to know what we're going to talk about the regulations and all of that and in, in coming up and, and why those need to be there but um, a lot of our listeners are beginners or intermediates mm -hmm. interested in growing and interested in making their own concentrates um, what would your advice advice be to them um, you know they can't afford these expensive machines and they can't um, do that and and try as we might to educate them that that's mm -hmm. the way it has to be they're going to probably experiment so what's your advice to that person uh you know as, as our company motto it's always been we never endorse home, open blasting and home blasting at this point don't, um don't do it, it. it's an extremely dangerous process uh some people have said that a can of butane is more volatile than a stick of dynamite uh with that being said though obviously we're not going to curtail what people are going to be doing at home and I'd recommend, if anything, starting on that physical extraction, whether it be uh, you know, a dry sieve or a water extract, because uh, that can be done safely in your home with those materials, that, you're, you know, that tr excess trim material, uh, and it can be done in a safe manner. If you're trying to you know, figure out the chemical extraction methods, uh, there's a tremendous amount of material online, but again, the biggest thing is 
never do it inside. Always be outside. If you're in a closed environment, just don't even bother trying. Mm -hmm. uh, it's too dangerous for yourself and for your neighbors and everyone around you. Yeah, and people, that includes you know, your kitchen with the windows open, that includes your garage with the door slightly open, that includes anywhere indoors at all. Um, and that's very important because um, gas go boom. <laughs> okay, you guys, we're li you're listening to uh, Free Hash from Danny Danko. We are talking with Matt Van Banskoten <laughs> and, <laughs> <tough> <laughs> <laughs> and Mike <laughs> Pesh from TC Labs, Cannabis Cup winners for their concentrates. And... Um, I have one more question before we go into uh, the Extract Outfitters stuff. Um, to, to, to the layman, looking at a concentrate at a um, dispensary at one of the rec shops in Colorado, is there a way to look at a, a concentrate and, and, and know whether it's good or bad? I mean, moving forward, absolutely. A lot of these centers should be able to have test uh, results on hand for these particular products and be able to show you as a consumer what you are consuming. Uh, as in terms of a visual reference, uh, 90%, 99% uh, I should say of dark black or green extracts stay away from, mm -hmm. uh, they're picking up chlorophyll and other materials that might be, you know, whether it be, uh, a spray that was sprayed on the plant or, uh, you know, a particular grease that's used on the trimming machine before it's harvested. All of that stuff is picked up in these extraction methods, and if you see that type of stuff, just stay away from it. And, and if you ever get home and you put it on the nail and it starts bubbling, you obviously have a problem. You don't want to smoke that at all. Yeah, that, that so any sizzle, kind of sizzle or bubble. That yeah. I mean, you can it, bubbling is not necessarily. Yeah, it could be an issue with the low temperature on the nail itself, which is fine. Um, but in terms of that that pop and that sizzle or whatever char residue it can leave on a nail. Uh, those are definitely indicators, but as we move forward and progress this industry, you should confidently be able to rely on the test results that are posted along with these products. And uh, I think it's a duty as us as uh, concentrate makers to be providing those test results with our products going out the door moving forward. Cool, excellent. Um, well, since we're, we're trying to dis discourage people from doing the, uh, the open blasting, and mm -hmm. since we mentioned a little bit about alternative things they can do, um, why don't we just chat a little bit about proper techniques for solventless hash making, which mm -hmm. is basically what we used to call ice water extraction Absolutely. or bubble, bubble bags or mm -hmm. bubble hash. Um, maybe just give us a quick primer on how, to, how that's done properly. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's not my forte, but I definitely have experience uh, with the non-solvent hash. I've uh, started making bubble uh, way back when, when I was a gardener. When it comes down to it, it's an art form. Uh, I, I give them a tremendous amount of credit because it's a tedious task. It, um, you start with a frozen material, uh, whether it be a trim or a flower, and you need to make sure that it's a flash freeze rather than a slow freeze. You don't want that moisture to ice up on you. Um, but once you take that material and you've got an ice cube and a water that's made from, uh, I, I know a lot of uh, the people that I personally uh, work with use a distilled water as opposed to an RO um, or something along those lines. You'd never want to use a tap water because of the chlorine and the flu uh, fluoride and everything else that's put into it. Uh, but if you start with a distilled water, uh, the impurities in the water itself shouldn't really be collected. Uh, so you take your frozen material, you've got a material bag uh, that's usually uh, a much wider 
mesh screen uh, that you're able to pack that in, submerge that within your, uh, if you're on a commercial level using a washing machine, you would you submerge that in your ice and water solution uh, and agitate for a period of time. Uh, some people, you know, are using the buckets uh, and simply doing it with ice and a hand and a spoon. Uh, you know, someone like a Cash Mason or Kachatura uh, Abrahim, those guys are doing it, you know, hand turning their batches. Uh, that's an art for, form, and that's where they're getting those super clear resin glands coming out and very little plant material overall. Uh, but on a commercial level, these guys are using a, you know, it's almost like a dorm room washing machine uh, that you'd pick up and uh, you drain the water that comes out of that machine through your series of bags. And uh, some people use, you know, four or six bags or five bags, you know, depending on what, however many filter uh, filtration points you want. Uh, but it gives you the opportunity to tailor your hash as a hash maker right then and there to which bags you're picking up because you'll get different blends. Uh, I know some people like their 90 bags or 90 micron bags or some people prefer to, you know, their 110s and taking out some others. It, you know, it's all, kind of all over the place depending on the particular maker. Um, but then you're, you scrape whatever comes up on those screens when you pull them out of the water. Uh, you use a spoon and you're able to dry that out and then either use a microplane, uh, which you get at a, like a grocery store um, or a kitchen supply store uh, or a strainer as some other people use and let it dry out over a period of time and then collect it. And, uh, it, you know, when it comes to it, it's a it's a great product. It's super clean. Uh, some people have issues with it. Um, you know, I personally and I know Mike as well. Uh, have an allergy reaction. I, I've got super bad asthma and allergy issues, and for whatever reason, uh, you know, I just have a little bit of an issue with smoking it over a solvent base. Uh, but I, you know, it's a clean product, and it's you know one of the oldest traditions in cannabis extracts. All right. Well, um, we talked about uh, you know a little bit about why people shouldn't uh, get into this themselves, but. The new regulations that have uh, happened in the Colorado area for extracts created a need for a product uh, that you guys have now put on the market for extract outfitters. This is a completely compliant concentrate laboratory. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about um, what that is, how that works, and uh, you know wh why that's important. Well, the state of Colorado about eight, nine months ago was at a point after seeing all these home explosions, they weren't really sure where they saw this industry going and whether concentrates themselves belonged in the Colorado uh, cannabis market. And the regulators worked to come up with these specific guidelines that comply with uh, OSHA, the National Fire Protection Agency, NEC, and a few other agencies and local uh, municipalities that have set their own regulations. And they've come up with these guidelines that allow these manufacturers to operate in a safe environment. Uh, you know, there's been a push to provide safe quality for the consumers, but there needs to be that push for the safety in the workplace as well. And so the facilities that we've come to, uh, to be able to provide, it's a plug and play option that uh, meets all of these requirements. We handle the plans, permits and installation. Uh, they're these basically it's a, a prefabricated room or laboratory, if you will. Uh, has a downdraft air environment where the air exchange in there is so intense that we never have the ability to have an explosion because we have so much 
air, there's not enough fuel to have that air-fuel ratio for an explosion. And that's uh, basically, you're saying that um, the fans and everything run without sparks or anything that oh, could... Oh, yeah, yep. Division one. Yeah, I mean, basically all everything in uh, the air handler... Uh, down through all the electronics and uh, the plugs and everything in that environment uh, are vapor-proof, spark-free, so that you know there's never that issue. Uh, but again, you know, pulling from OSHA, the whole purpose is you know should there ever be a catastrophic failure in one of these closed-loop systems, especially some of the newer ones on the market, you know you need to be able to contain that amount of solvent that's in that environment and exhaust it in a safe place and not have any possibility of an explosion. Yeah, well, that's really important. And um, you guys also handle like delivery and installation. You even have expert technicians that come in and like instruct people's mm -hmm. staff on how to operate the machinery properly. A, a to Z, yeah, absolutely, full installation. Yeah, and if you guys are interested in checking it out, um, go to extractoutfitters.com. Um, all the information is there on their website, and you can take a look at what these machines look like. And you can also see, um, you know, granted, you know, starting at $75,000, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty pricey uh, thing. But when you're talking about your safety and you're talking about creating a lot of concentrates, which is, which is about to be the thing that's going to be happening in the future, uh, it's quite an interesting investment for someone who... Um, who's looking to get into that sort of business and understands the laboratory aspects of doing something like that and putting that together. So. A lot of these store owners are watching their you know, retail sales go from you know, 80% flowers, maybe 20% concentrates, more and more to that 50-50 uh, ratio of flower to concentrate sales. And so you know, it is gonna become a much larger part of the market and to be able to provide safety across the, you know, across the board for everyone is why we come to this uh, solution. Cool. So, um, a little, tell me a little bit more about the closed loop system. How, uh, you know, how exactly does that work? Uh, are you able to reuse N-butane over and over? And and how many times can you use the same product? Well, well we we do reuse our N-butane over and over again. Um, what we're able to do, it, you know, it starts with distilling the butane once it comes out of the canister from our gas supplier. Uh, that process then gives us that clean gas that we're able to run through. And every time that it comes in contact with that plant material and then is evaporated off through, again, that distillation process, uh, we're able to recapture it, condense it, and reuse it. Uh, in theory, we could recapture, you know, about 80 or 90 percent of the solvent that's in the extraction process uh, every time. The only th problem that we've seen uh, as we get up into the commercial level is as you play with those heats and pressures that you know you've got those phase changes within your gases and you start to lose some overtime um, to those phase changes and you get built up air pressure and that type of stuff. But you know it's it is allowing us to you know instead of running through couple master cases of canned butane a day, uh, you know, we're down to 116 pound doer of butane, uh, like once every three or four days, uh, which allows us to, you know, operate more efficiently. We're not releasing all of those volatile organic compounds out into the atmosphere. And, you know, we're just being more mindful and cost effective at the same time. Cool. Um, you are listening to Free Hash from Danny Danko. We have the pleasure of talking with um, Michael Pesh, Pesh and Matt 
Van Van Scoten from TC Labs and Extract Outfitters. Um, TC Labs having won uh, the Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam and second place in Denver. Uh, now, lots of people make concentrates, lots of people use closed loop systems, and lots of people start with a great product. But how do you make a Cannabis Cup winning concentrate? <laughs> It starts at first. I mean, Mike can tell you it's all about the materials. Uh, what you put in is what you get out of it. Yeah. We start hunting down the particular gardeners that we want to do, you know, work with on these projects, well, they and they hunt are us down as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you know, it's a collaborative effort, and that's you know, with our Amsterdam entry, uh, Archive Seed Bank were the ones who provided the uh, Kush cleaner that went into uh, part of that entry. With Kind Love's uh, lemon G. And, uh, you know, the combination of those amazing palettes allowed us to have that starting point, if you will. Uh, then, I, you know, you guys are the judges. You can t kind of tell me about what you look for. But <laughs> I, what we go for is really that clear, consistent uh, stability within our product, uh, being able to have that translucent appearance uh, that's eye-catching. Very stable. Yeah, I mean, having that shelf life is what we go for in all, our product every day. But for that cup-winning batch... It's all about finding, you know, that right color and consistency uh, to be able to wow those judges. Uh, then we also, you know, this year we're taking a slightly different approach. Uh, that's what we've done in the past, I guess. Uh, this year we've been able to look at what strains have tested really well uh, and be able to figure out, you know, what kind of combinations we want to put together that'll, you know, have a full... Uh, approach at an entry, if you will, in terms of the flavor, the aroma, the appearance, as well as those testing scores to be able to have a, a well-rounded entry. So you're saying you guys actually mix more than one particular strain into the concentrates sometimes? Depends, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes. Um, oh. Our first, our Denver entry was Lemon G13 straight, uh, and that was you know, uh, a straight nug run. Our uh, entry for Amsterdam was definitely a, uh, a mixture of two different flowers there. And uh, I think as, you know, the growers have new flavor profiles come out, definitely the concentrates will have new flavors come out as well. But I think it's also fun as uh, a concentrate maker to be able to palette those two different strains together. And sometimes it comes out extremely muted and bland and doesn't really have that wow factor. Other times they, you know, it's a harmonious sync within that concentrate and it's loud it sticks to your tongue it just it, it makes you want to go back for more and that that's what we look for that's great it's funny that that has parallels to cannabis breeding as well you can take, absolutely you can take yeah. two great strains and mix them and get something Dunks. crappy that's yeah. The, that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it's really really interesting um now what's the difference between shatter and butter uh Traditionally, you know, there th some people would argue, oh, there's a difference in cleans cleanliness and all of that, and I would completely disagree. Uh, the difference is it's a matter of preference and inconsistency. Uh, we find that butters are great for bridging the gap for people who are starting to uh, get into concentrates because you're, it's easier to handle. It doesn't require as many it's utensils. Good for the pens. Yeah, it's great for those vape pens. Um, you can, you know, crumble it into a joint and that type of stuff to kind of, again, bridge that gap. Uh, the shatter is for us, the beginning product for our wax. Uh, so what we'll end up doing is we'll go through and, you know, in our closed loop system, taking a, a slab all the way to being a clear, you know, stable shatter slab. And then, uh, our technicians will take it and whip it up over heat. 
uh, and that provides, again, that consistency that some people pref uh, prefer. Uh, if you talk to some of these testing groups, you know, they'll even tell you some of these waxes are starting to show up even lower on the residuals than yeah, some of these shatters. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, as you heat up and agitate over a period of time, you start to um, activate and then uh, vaporize off a lot of these terpenoids. So there's, you know, there's a game and an art form to the butters themselves. We get that question all the time, the difference between, uh, you know, a wax and an oil and a butter or and a, a shatter. Or a, yeah, right. yeah, so. Those, those kind of differences, you know, the, the sap versus shatter, uh, that's a lot in the oil maker themselves uh, and the techniques, yeah, the that, techniques they that they use. Yep. Uh, we've noticed a definite correlation um, of, you know, the amount of propane in uh, the gas solution to a slightly more yellowy, uh, more sappy consistency. Uh, you know, there are reasons for the scientific reasons for it, but it, you know, that's again, preference and handling. If somebody doesn't want to deal with a hard a rock hard shatter and would prefer that sappier consistency, um, you know, there, there's the ability to do that in the extraction process. You know, the other thing that we get a lot of are uh, concerns about butane in the end uh, product. Have you heard anything about this? Do you believe that there's any danger of consuming butane once the product is fully clean and all that? When it comes to that residual butane in the product, um, there's been a constant debate going back and forth between regulators, tester, uh, testing groups, and the concentrate makers themselves. Uh, there are OSHA guidelines that are out there that you know set uh, inhalation stand or uh, thresholds and that type of stuff in a work work environment. But you're in the grand scheme of things when it comes down to parts per million and staying under these 500 part per million thresholds that a lot of states are starting to take on. You're consuming more butane while using a bic lighter and smoking a bowl uh, than you would consuming one of these concentrates. Yeah. No, sounds good. I think that'll allay some of the fears that are out there. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. However, if you see that dark green or black soup, stay away from it because I'm not speaking that. for that. <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah, not everybody uh, does it right, I guess, is the key. Our material is definitely sold on shelves, so it's yeah. quality. <laughs> now, we're talking with Matt and Mike uh, from TC Labs. They also are uh, partners in a project called extract outfitters and so i wanted to talk a little bit more about that as well um this is the new thing now because of the uh compliance and you, you guys were telling me there's even places now um big places that are not compliant so this is kind of like a thing that's going to be a must for for people to uh create something like this for themselves or to purchase it from you guys right yeah i mean even these large concentrate makers uh so to speak or the big players in the game for the longest time had been taking what they knew from the black market experiences, trying to apply them to a commercial level. And it got it got us to a, at a point in an in, as an industry, and it's had to progress from there. And to be able to do so, it's just holding ourselves to a standard. Uh, that's, you know, those standards are no different than any other industry out there. And it's just providing that safe environment in the workplace um, you're seeing Colorado take it, you're seeing other states start to be aware of it, um, and you know they have the options of stepping up and complying or losing their licenses, and that's what they're facing here very soon. Um, and, and the amount of money that these 
businesses make, especially some of the bigger concentrate companies. It's it's not really it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, it's it's should, really be a, it should be a no brainer. It's, it really it's is. plug and play system. And so and the best yeah. thing about it is, is is you can take this laboratory with you. You know, if you have a lease and you're dedicated to that spot for four years, you don't want to be building it to someone else's property. This is your your home. This is your laboratory. So as a concentrate maker, you know, as a big business owner, you know, it's 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 a make sense opportunity. Yeah. How uh, how amazed are you guys at the at where we are right now as far as you know uh legalization recreational stores selling your concentrates over the counter right now i mean if we if you look back just 10 years could you have imagined this to be been passing the last year and a half two years it's crazy (laughs) yeah i mean i i never saw this coming working in the medical industry in colorado we always saw something on the horizon but never realized that this snowball would come down the mountain so quickly uh to hear about all the uh, activists that are starting to rally in Florida and in Georgia and you know, in Tennessee and Kentucky, it, it's it's promising that this country actually has the ability to unify under something. You know, I, my parents always gave me a hard time. Is you know, my generation never has anything to rally behind, and <laughs> you know, I think there's finally something that we have you know, as a unified uh, you know country been able to rally behind and move forward. Uh, and, you know, I think it's impressive to see how we've been able to do it to date. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, uh, I guess we're winding now. Now, you guys have any shout outs? Uh, let people know where they can contact you, um, you know, through social media or any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, definitely follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we've got our web pages, both tclabsco.com and extractoutfitters.com. Uh, you know, this has been a collaborative effort from the get go. Uh, we have a number of partners who have helped us along the way uh, and our partners, both Josh and John and Adam, um, you know, the three of them are back home taking care of the lab for us right now and banging it out. So without them, we wouldn't be where this company is at to date. Uh, they're our work, uh, our workforce and they crush it every day. Uh, and then, you know, if, if you want to give us a shout and talk to us personally, we do have a 1-800 number. Uh, for Extract Outfitters, and we're willing to talk to you about a solution. Uh, phone number is 844-SAFE-LAB. Uh, it's, again, 844-723-3522. Uh, you know, we're willing to come to other states at this point and work with your regulators if it's something that you're interested in. Uh, if you don't have regulation to date, you know, we're willing to come in and help you uh, lobby for those particular actions and be able to provide you a safe environment for cannabis concentrates. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks, you guys, for coming on the show, the free hash inaugural uh, first time <laughs> we've been we've done it this way. Um, thank you for having us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Honored. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, really guys. Is. Stick around for our cultivation segment. We'll be right back. All right, guys, I got another sponsor to mention. And along with the BC Northern Lights grow boxes, you're going to need seeds. And where can you get them? Who's going to send them to you? Gorilla Seed Bank. That's G O R I L L A dash cannabis dash seeds dot co dot uk they just redid their website they've got a special deal going on right now you can get 15 percent off all orders on gorilla using promo code 15 per one five per upon checkout um, a bunch of other deals you buy th seeds you're going to get free mk ultra seeds if you go over 40 pounds on your order um, over 59.99 you get free critical feminized seeds over 89 
$9.99, you get uh, Free White Widow. So um, check them out. There's even another deal. If you go, if you order more than $119.99 in British pounds, you get free super iced grapefruit feminized seeds. So check out all their offers. Um, anything you order from there, you can get 15% off right now using promo code 15PER. You can look on their website and see all the different seed banks that they sell. Anything you want as far as autoflowering, feminized, regular, um, very discreet shipping worldwide, great customer service, and eco-friendly packaging. Check them out, Gorilla Seed Bank. All right, you guys, uh, that was an interesting interview there with those fellas and a glimpse into the present and the future of uh, hashish or concentrated cannabis material. Uh, I want to take you guys back a little bit into the past of it. So we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the traditional hash making that we call import hash, although um, you can do this yourself if you want. Um, basically, you know, Afghanistan, Morocco, Lebanon, all of these countries in India, they all have these uh, traditions, basically, of making, growing plants specifically to make hashish from those plants. So um, there's not a lot of pot smoking, but there's a ton of hash smoking and hash making going on. Um, And they kind of scoff at at us for smoking the flowers. It's kind of funny, like, they just view the flowers in a lot of ways as just a uh, you know, something from which to make hash, not really something to smoke on its own. So it's interesting how that developed. And they've been doing that in these places for thousands of years, families, um, generations, uh, particularly places like, um, you know, the reef, uh, mountain range in, in Morocco, um, where those traditions have just been handed down family to family, how to make it, how to grow it, Um, And they make tons. I mean, it's incredible what they're able to accomplish with huge, huge fields of plants. And when you see the plants, it's interesting. They're not, um, it doesn't look like Humboldt County, these big, huge, you know, bushes. It's all these kind of short spears. Uh, It's the typically indica bushes, sometimes um, only one stalk of the bush, you know, but the flowers have been chosen for year after year, um, specifically for resin production. Um, Very terpene. And the one thing I'd say, like when you smoke that type of hash as opposed to, um, you know, the concentrates and that we have here and the um, non-solvents, they have a terroir. You know, you know, when you're smoking Moroccan, um, there's a flavor, there's an, an, a, a scent, there's a, a feeling that's so unique to that region. And even from mountain range to mountain range, there are differences and subtleties that you can distinguish. And there's a lot of people over, of course, in Amsterdam that really know their stuff and can tell you, you know, literally what uh, area a certain hash came from and whether it was the top quality or lower quality, like a sommelier with, uh, with wine. So, uh, and terroir is a term from wine. It's basically the essence of the land. Uh, and that includes the strains that you're using, and that includes the chalkiness of the soil, the uh, you know the mineral content. All of those things are reflected in that product. And another interesting thing, Morocco-wise, is that a lot of those strains seem to be high CBD. And uh, you know people are studying that now, but it's interesting to find that a lot of the sedative qualities and 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 body sort of high could be coming from that that higher CBD range. Um, in Afghanistan, it's been a tradition uh, for so long, no one really knows where it dates back to. 
Um, it's too bad that there's been war there for so long because, you know, while they are, of course, growing plenty of hash and exporting it, very little of it makes its way all the way to the U.S. and it used to be different. Um, it's nice to have concentrates. I love dabs. I love uh, solventless, but there's nothing like a nice piece of Moroccan or a really nice piece of Afghan or Nep Nepalese in particular. Um, Indian hashes are great. Uh, you know, even places you wouldn't think of, Tajikistan, Egypt, these are hash producing regions traditionally. And, you know, the only thing stopping them in a lot of ways is, is you know, the prevalence of them having to grow poppies and things like that because it's more profitable. But hopefully those traditions survive. And um, one thing I'll say is that sativas in, you know, places like Southeast Asia were pretty much chosen for medicinal purposes and teas and things like that. And that's why they don't care about the short and stockiness and they're not quite as uh, interested in the resin production. They're more into, into the flavor and the medicinal properties. And so that's why you don't see a lot of a hash culture coming out of Southeast Asia and Thailand and places like that. Um, that having been said, of course, there's Thai stick uh, buds and concentrates that they make of, of their own but it's not really a traditional thing. So, uh, yeah, I hope uh, that's a little bit about that. The other important thing about import hash is that it's pressed and it's cured and it's aged. And those are three completely different processes. The pressing is done with really low heat and uh, pressure. And it what it does is it takes those individual glands and sort of pops them and blends the oils together. And it creates this solid piece rather than um, just a bunch of powdered keef, uh, which is not really the term. I get, I'd say unpressed hash particles. Um, once they're pressed, a, a new kind of thing happens when it's blended together and those oils start mixing. And curing, you know, that's just sort of uh, waiting a few months to let the hash sort of develop. And then aging is a whole different thing. And, and um, you can look up, you know, look on Wikipedia, look at the history of hash, and you'll see more information on that. But uh, that is really that lost art. And we're going to have an article coming up in the future by uh, a guy named Frenchie, works with Subcool and the TGA people, uh, about the lost art of hashishans and hash making and pressing, curing, and aging. Much more in-depth than what I'm talking about. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And, uh, yeah, that, my friends, is the history of hash. And do, you, do we get any questions about hash? Uh, we, well, we, we asked for some, and uh, we got one. So, One. Well, yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, do it. Fred writes, I was wondering if you, Danny Danko, so apparently he doesn't care what I think, but he wants to know <laughs> if you, Danny Danko, have ever smoked a joint rolled in hash like the one that Red Man talks about. It's basically weed rolled in hash and takes forever to burn. Let me know. What do you What do you think? Have you, yeah. I imagine you, you've done that. Yeah, well, actually, as a matter of fact, the one that Red Man's talking about is one that we showed him to roll. Um, we were over in Amsterdam, I believe, uh, t 2006 Cup, maybe 2007. Um, Redman, Reggie, Doc, uh, our, our buddy, High Times Ambassador, uh, Redman, was there per to perform. But, you know, he really wanted to smoke. He wanted to p be part of the whole judging process. So, uh, of course, you know, we, had, we, we were happy to help him out. We had lots of weed, lots of hash. And then we decided to roll the, uh, the Mendo cigar, as they call it, among other names. You flatten out the piece of uh, import hash almost like it's a rolling paper. You put a little weed in the middle, you roll it up, and you light it. And it burns for like 45 minutes and gets 20 people stoned. As long as it burns properly. We had a nice glass uh, thing that we could put it into so it didn't drip or get too hot. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, right after we did that, 
he decided he wanted to roll one and uh and uh, my colleague Craig, who was on the show earlier, helped him out, and he flattened out his own piece and rolled his own joint, and uh, sub- subsequently showed up a little bit late for the show, <laughs> but uh, but we had a lot of fun, and yes, I have smoked those type of blunts uh, or hash joints, and I hope to do so in the future, maybe with you at a future Cannabis Cup. Well, take him up on that, Fred. That's a solid offer. And uh, actually, we had just one other thing. We kind of talked about this a little during the interview, but can you just very quickly explain the difference between oil and wax like how do you tell uh, what what is one versus the other well oil is clear and wax is going to be opaque uh wax as as it sounds is 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 a waxy compound um whereas the oils or or let's say uh you know shatter is like the oil in in solid form you can put it up to the light you can kind of see you can see through it it's a golden amber colored um and so yeah it's it's, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the guys from TC did a better job of uh, that distinction. But uh, basically, there's shatter and wax, and, and they're two different forms of concentrate. So, Yeah, and it all also comes down to how you finish that product, right? So there, there's uh, stuff you could read about that on HighTimes.com right now. I think Kay wrote it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kay from Tricom uh, wrote an article about cleaning your concentrates. We've got two of them up there now. And uh, yeah, it's really all about just making sure people are consuming a good product that's made in a safe manner. And uh, yeah, particularly when it's medicinal and for recreational, of course, also. So that's the great thing about hash. It is indeed. And that was a great hash episode. So what do you say? We take a little break, come back, put a bow on it. Let's do it. All right. Well, dude, first ever free hash. Yeah, free hash. We had this idea a long time ago, and we got excited about it. We we got them to make the song. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, thank and you. We'll probably do this again at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see how people like it. If they like it, if they tweet us back that they love free hash, they want more free hash, we will do we will do that. You know. Um, thanks to the guys, uh, Matt and Mike from TC Labs for coming by. Um, thanks, of course, to Jacques and Winstrong for making a tune uh, just for us, for our one-off. Um, and just like High Time started as a one-off, maybe you know this uh, one-off might lead to more free hash shows. So um, tweet us, Facebook us, um, Instagram us, whatever it is that you do there on your computers. Do it and let us know that you love free hash, um, hashtag free hash. Um, that's a brand new one we're going to bring out. So hashtag free hash in all your correspondence, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, yeah, if we get enough of a response, we'll, we'll bring it back. We will indeed. All right. You travel safely to Spain and say hi to everybody from Spanibus. I will. I will. And uh, we will see you back here with our next episode of Free Weed or Free Hash. Free Hash, Free Hash, Danny Danko. Danny Danko, show you how to turn the to stay. Free hash on Alma Radio.
trim, trim, trim the weed and use the leaf to make a chunk of hair. Use the leaf to make a chunk of hair. On oh, my radio, by Danny Danko. Presented, presented by, 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 by Hot Times Magazine. Ha, ha. Danny Danko, Panda, 